Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. I'm Jimmy Corain, and this is another episode of Improv Nerd, sponsored by Hotel Lincoln. Now, the next time you're here in the city of Chicago, and you're going, you know what? I want a cool, hip, kitschy, boutique hotel that's close to everything, just right around the corner from Second City. It's in a great neighborhood. It's not only improviser, but it's pet-friendly as well, reasonably priced. Check out the Hotel Lincoln. It's the official hotel of Improv Nerd. Our guests today are, are two of my favorite improvisers that I've gotten to work with over the years, Rachel Mason and Ryan Archibald. And we're going to focus on this episode on short form. We haven't done one yet. And, and uh, when we recorded this about a year ago, uh, both Rachel and, and Ryan were part of the cast of the Second City Improv All-Stars, which is a short form show. And I say that with a little judgment in my voice. And it was directed by Mick Napier. And the show is still up and running. It's on Monday nights at the Second City Up Theater here in Chicago. And the reason I wanted to do this show is because of the judgment and the fear that I have about short form. Now, if you don't know what short form is and you're listening to Improv Nerd, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. But if you want to know what it is, it's, it's like whose line is it anyways, those games that they play. And I started out doing those kind of games. And I wasn't very good at it because I put a lot of pressure on myself because I thought it was about being funny and quick. And I'm not funny and quick. And I just, it felt flat. So if there's any judgment in my voice, it's probably because I wasn't very good at it. And then I started to get into long form. And I was doing forms like the Herald and Jazz Freddy and Armando. And then because I'm rigid and because I'm controlling and because I'm full of fear and I'm full of shame, I became a long form snob, which did not help me with my improv, which did not help me with my career. It has not helped me with my life. In this episode, I come clean. I put everything on the table, and I admit my judgment of short form. And they set me straight, and they explain to me the benefits of doing short form. They also tell me their approach to short form, and they also tell me how short form and long form work together. Now, I think you're going to detect a change in me at the end of this episode. And if this was a, th a three-act uh screenplay or movie, I think the Jimmy character really would have an epiphany, and you're going to see some sort of change that happens at the end of this episode. And without giving too much away, I really enjoyed doing short form with these guys, and I got a new respect for it. So here it is, Rachel Mason and Ryan Archibald, the Second City Improv All-Stars. Enjoy. Yay. I haven't seen you in a long time, Ryan. No, it's been a couple of years, I think. Yes, it has. Yeah. Now, you grew up in Barrington. That's correct. Uh, and uh, a wealthy suburb of Chicago. And you described yourself as a weird kid. Yeah. How were you a weird kid in the context of your family? Well, um, my family uh, are you know business people, educators. Uh, you know, it's kind of an upper middle class Republican family. And I was a 
unexpected child. My sister's 10 years older than me, and my, so I kind of came late, which just kind of made me special to my family. So, but I was just kind of a weird kid, very imaginative, uh, very sensitive, um, but also like kind of wild, like always jumping my bike off of something. Were you kind of kid who was always like breaking his arm? Yeah, but I, well, I, I would do the things that you would think you'd break your arm, but I wouldn't ever break my arm. <laughs> I, just, I never learned any hard lessons that way. I'd just like go, dust myself off and go smash myself into something else. And you also said that you had this great imagination. When you were a kid, yep. you had a backstory for all your toys. Yeah, like, like my G.I. Joes, they weren't part of the army. They were all like professional wrestlers with their own individual backstory. And, like, you know, and, and I, I have a fight stuff. And you know, same thing for all, all my toys. Like I remember when I was a little kid, you know, getting in a fight with my sister, her trying to tell me like this teddy bear is this and this and this, and me freaking out. It's like, no, this is my bear. <laughs> this is Ed. And Ed does this, you know. And, what kind of backstory did Ed have? Uh, well, Ed came from uh, Santa's workshop. Uh, in my mind, uh, but it was like a, it was like a Teddy Ruxpin. It was like a you know it had a very clear identity. <laughs> and you said that you still believed in Santa Claus up to ten to eleven. Yeah, I did. I did. I think I, well, that plays into the fact that I was a baby of the family, and I did have this big wild imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think it just pleased everyone in my family that I was willing to buy into it, like. <laughs> Fight, you know, not like because I would just keep to myself. Not like I was fighting kids at school at ten. Like, no, Santa exists. I just think around Christmas time, I would just know that he was coming. You know, and I held on to it for a long, long time. Now, Rachel, you grew up Italian and Irish family, uh -huh. small town in uh -huh. Long Island called Babylon. Uh huh. You were a sassy kid. Yes. Which I have a hard time seeing. <laughs> I really do. Um, what is the most trouble you ever got with your mouth? Oh my God. So I over, like Sicilian women are terrible people. Horrible people. <laughs> I'm listening to my grandmother and her sister talk about their daughters, how they hate them. Like my daughter is a disappointment. I hate this daughter, this daughter, blah, blah, blah. So their daughters are in the other room and I walk right in and sit down and go, your mothers hate you. <laughs> and I tell them all the stories and I think like, I'm just like, you know, spreading the How good old word. are you? How old are you? I was probably, Five or six? Oh my God! Like, like I, like I knew it was like I was gonna like. What is this gonna do to them if I tell them? And it would like cause like a five-year family feud. <laughs> it was terrible. I was a shithead. Now the other thing I find uh, that I love about you as an improviser is like you're super intelligent, okay, and then you can also be um, super. Raunchy, especially with the sexual stuff. Uh -huh. You have no shame about that on stage. Okay. I don't know what it's like in real life, but uh, <laughs> is that because your parents were open about sex or repressed about it? My father is a Marine. Okay. And so language was never taboo in our house. Like my father was the kind of guy who would say, "Like shit, birds, gra uh, drop your cocks and grab your socks. It's time for breakfast." I'm like, we all come over now. I'm like, yay, breakfast time. Right. Fucking good breakfast, yay. So like, you couldn't just swear for the sake of swearing. Like you had to use it appropriately, but language was never taboo. Uh, my mother went to Pratt, which is an art school, and my father, even though he was a Marine, was incredibly liberal. So they were absolutely open. Like I knew, I feel like I always knew what sex was and where babies came from, <laughs> always. Do you remember when the first time they explained the birds and bees to you? You know what I told them? With, I'm such a shithead. Rose Baldwin already told me on the playground. I know, I know all this already. This is way too much information. But 
like, this is so gross. Every boy in the room, plug your ears. So, like, when I got my first period, I knew exactly now, what to do. Now, how old were you? Uh... I don't know, like regular age, like 12 or 13 okay. or whatever. But like my mom saw me walk into her closet, like take out the product and go into the bathroom. <laughs> like I didn't, like I didn't, like I knew what to do. I didn't have to talk to her. And like she felt, she felt totally robbed of like the, like the experience. The experience right. Yeah. Same thing with my bike. I got on a bike and rode away and my father was like, wait, I was gonna teach you. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. <laughs> now, Ryan, you tell a story that you were six and seven years old, yeah. you're over at your grandparents' house, and yeah. they have their friends over. Yeah. They're drinking, they're playing cards, uh -huh. and it's the first time you get this performance uh, rush. Can yeah. you finish the story? Sure, yeah. So they're all drinking and playing cards and having a good time, and uh, you know, so six or seven. So I start kind of dancing and getting some attention for that and start telling some jokes, you know? And then I, I start acting like Jack Tripper because I love Three's Company. So I'm like walking up to all the all my grandmother's friends and like hitting on them and they think it's really funny and like, because you know, it's from a TV show. But then I don't stop, I just keep going. And I can tell my grandfather is like amused and then a little like, enough, Ryan, enough. But I won't stop, man. I mean, like, everyone's laughing, having a good time. Uh, and eventually I got swept up and uh, taken to bed and, uh, and spanked. And uh, I just knew I was funny after that. <laughs> I was like, got my thing. And that didn't stop you. You didn't, for me, I would have oh. felt so much shame like I did something wrong, yeah. but you took it as. I did something right. I took right. it as, yeah, I did something uh -huh. right. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, you also said that you were a big kid. I was huge, yeah. Oh, you was, were like. I was 5'11 uh, playing Little League. I hit puberty at nine, so I was just a gigantic kid. Yeah. And you had a learning disability, you had dys dyslexia. Yeah, I'm dyslexic, and, and so being a great big kid with a learning disability <laughs> certainly teaches you how to be funny uh, and to defend yourself. Um, and actually thinking back, I probably used humor to defend myself and just be too mean. You know, I think like the best way to shut it, like being teased by an adult for being dumb, you zip them back and they go, oh. But, you know, it wasn't necessarily respectful or like getting teased by other kids. I had a, I just have a real good knack of looking at someone's weakness and just making fun of it, you know, like flip just like that. Is there, is there any one person, because when I read that, I'm like, I've, I've been mean, you sure. know, because, and is there any one person or incident that sticks out like, oh, you know, I, I went too far? Oh, man. Pro yeah, probably. Probably kids around my neighborhood, like kids that I that, like, grew up on my block. I probably picked on a little bit too much just because we were all different ages and you know and I'm sure some of the younger kids have picked on pretty ruthlessly. Um. <laughs> I'm, a nice, I'm a real nice guy. Uh, <laughs> I promise you. Now, now you went to Skidmore College uh -huh. and your buddy Jed says to you try out for this improv group mm -hmm. and you said it saved your life. Mm -hmm. What was going on in your life back then that needed saving? My mom was dying of cancer. Um, she had been fighting it since I was in high school, and while we thought it was in remission, it really actually jumped to her brain. So she was like an Alzheimer's patient, and like I was losing my fucking mind. And my friend Jed was like, "You need, you need to like do something fun," because I would just sit in my. I got straight A's when she started dying because all I did was like focus in on my work. And he was like, "You need to like live." So I tried out for the improv group, and I got in, and like for three hours twice a week, I got to be somebody else try on characters and voices and not have the same problems that I normally had. 
and this is sort of a big jump, but like years later, I taught classes at Gilda's Club. Which like, is? Which is, uh, you know, it was uh, after Gilda Radner died of cancer, Gene Wilder and a bunch of you know, some more Second City people set up Gilda's Club, which is for cancer patients and their families. And I taught a workshop to these women. And they're playing ABC and like they have their chemo and they have these wigs on and they're closing their eyes just trying to think of words that rhyme with butt. And I was like, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Like for a second, like comedy can like, like you don't think about anything but like having a little fun for a second. So improv 100% saved my life. And Ryan, you are playing football at the University of Illinois mm -hmm. at this time mm -hmm. and you have a football injury and how does that lead you to improv? Uh, well, I was, went from you know three years on the football team at U of I where you what did you play? Uh, I was an offensive lineman. Did you start or no? I, I didn't. I was too. I was too small. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I they, right they, compared to those guys. Yeah, I and mean, they were hoping that I would grow when I was you know twenty and twenty one, and I didn't. I stayed at six two, and I got up to like two ninety, but I just wasn't big enough to play, you know, to to really be effective. Um, but I you know played special teams and stuff like that and had a good time. But because I was smaller and aggressive and not used to being unsuccessful at F athletics, I really like threw myself into it. So I got three major concussions over 18 month period. So they asked me to stop playing. So I went from very structured life and uh, with lots of you know uh, tutors and you know and. and tape and all this stuff to, to, to basically having nothing, just going to class, so I was just trying to keep busy. And uh, my buddy was the quarterback of the team, saw this flyer for a comedy club, and like kind of came in, I was always kind of class clown on the team, he's like, yeah, you should try out for that. And I just said, why not, and went, and totally got bit by the bug, and you know, the, the whole next year at my senior year I spent improvising and coming up to I.O. And, and, and here and seeing shows and just knowing that... Uh, you know, it completely replaced something for me, you know. And then you come to Chicago after you graduate Skidmore. Mm -hmm. The day after. The day after. Mm -hmm. How'd you make the uh, decision to come? Most of my improv troupe, we decided to come together and we all auditioned for Second City and only two of us got in. Second City, the conservatory? or mm -hmm. Okay, which is classes here. Uh-huh, and then I was the only one who made it onto our touring company. Which then eventually you get to tour and you get hired by Second City and you get paid for that. Mm -hmm. And you also came to study with Del Close, right? I knew that I wanted to come to Chicago to learn long-form improvisation from the person who invented it. Um, David Miner, the guy who produces 30 Rock, he was the guy who founded my improv troupe. And he was super nerdy, the ad liberal artist, and he would bring in these incredible gurus and people to like work with us. So I was like, I know that if I want to come back to New York, I got to go to Chicago first. What was your impression of Del? He loved me, and, okay. and Del, Which is, Del did not believe in women in comedy at all. I don't think he believed in women at all. Period. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you're being generous. So Del was an asshole, too smart, an ex-junkie, and that is all three things my father were, was. Okay. So I was not afraid of him. Like, he sassed me, and I sassed him right back, and he goes, Mason. Like, you remembered my name right away. And Del had this way of being like, you two are worthwhile, and all of you should kill yourselves. <laughs> and would just talk to these two people. And if you were these two people, you could do it. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. I fell in love with him, the way he talked about improv, the way it was something much more spiritual than comedy. It was tribal. He wanted you to learn a truth at the end of the performance. And that really resonated with me, because I found my own truth doing short form in college. It saved my life. And then you 
come here to Chicago, and where do you start to study? I studied at I.O. and Annoyance. I did too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember your first class and what you were like? Yeah, I, I do. I, uh, first class was with Sharna. Sharna Halperin, Sharna who is Halperin. the producer of the Improv Olympics. That's correct. And, um, you know, I had some experience on campus, and this was, you know, what's, four, 16 years ago, so not every campus had an improv troupe, and not every uh, high school had an improv troupe like today when students get. get our classes now they're much more advanced mm -hmm. but because I had a background I kind of it was and I'm a very confident and aggressive performer so I I still was that back then even though I was kind of shit um, <laughs> but uh, Sharna just took a shine to me because I was a young kid and loved to crack jokes and fly all over the stage and just had a lot of energy did she say you were the next Farley no, she, okay. she didn't, but I wanted her to really. Are you serious? No, 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 she no, no. told me I was. I reminded her of a young Tina Fey. Yeah. Okay. Maybe My experience, if that version. happens, kiss it. <laughs> she told me I was like Adam McKay. Okay. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My experience, if she says you're the next blank, kiss it down. <laughs> kiss it down. <laughs> so you, get, you got on a, a, an improv team. Yeah. Pretty quickly, but I think like women with some balls were at a real premium back then. So I started playing on house teams and like doing shit right away. And what about you? I was lucky enough to be put on a team in level one with my level one class, mm -hmm. eight of us from that class. And we were called People of Earth and we were mm -hmm. together for six years. And we, my, my class was the Lindbergh Babies, the very first 5B show. And we had like a five year run of our form. Yeah. So you guys never experienced, like when I was there, it was like you'd get on a team and then Sharna would break up the team. You yeah. didn't have have that. No. Okay. Well, that's why you're more adjusted than I am. I'm still holding on to Now you, Ryan, you go and you do Boom Chicago. I do, yeah. And you, you, you teach there, you perform there with mm -hmm. them, you started the, their corporate thing. Mm -hmm. You tell about their, an awful corporate gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> one of the worst shows ever. So, uh, a big part of Boom Chicago is, is communications and dealing with you know corporations doing corporate shows. So, specialized sketches written for this event and and and. Did we say Boom Chicago is in Amsterdam? Yeah, it's Did in Amsterdam. That? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's so, very important. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it was one of my first gigs there. I was twenty-seven and and uh, was going out with three other people, which is a small cast, and we got sent. Southern uh, Netherlands, and we were supposed to be the, this big treat final uh, show at the end of the day, but they'd already started drinking, and they were crowded in this small Dutch excuse me, basement bar, and uh, you know we're doing our show, and they're not really paying attention to us at all. They're talking, and and then we in Dutch, right? Yeah, in Dutch, and okay. just you know, and I'm totally lost because I I don't know a lick of Dutch at this point. And so we get to the end of the show, which is this thing called Yo, Here We Go, which is a freestyle rap thing. And we start setting it up. How does start, it go? So it goes, Yo, Here We Go, Yo, Here We Go, let's see who's sitting in the front row. Uh, and then like, we, we uh, hit on people in the front row <laughs> through our masterful improv skills, which is a terrible, uh, you know, terrible for a corporate show anyways. But like the beat starts and like, and <laughs> we start rapping and they, come up on stage and start booing us. And they take the microphones from us and they start making fun of us being like, so we kind of like sneak off stage, hide in the back, and they just started some dance music and started the rest of the night. I was had, I always, it's frightening. And I always loved the Dutch, but I. Oh, they're great, but they had, I mean, they have very little, pay, and this is also this is in 2004, so it was just the height
height of the entire continent of Europe hating George Bush. And anytime an American showed up, especially, you know, a <laughs> clearly white bread American, you know, suburban kid who they're thinking, oh, he came here to smoke weed all the time, which is only partially true. Uh, but, but like they just put judgments on you immediately. So they don't want to learn communication or business or any of that. They're mm-hmm. going to make you prove it over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. Now, the Second City All-Stars, uh, it's a fair amount of short form, right? Yeah. And when I think of you two, I think of your very established long form players. Uh, why interested? Why were you interested in doing a short form show? Mick Napier directed the show, and because he was like, fuck Second City and fuck a lights up, lights down improv show, he made the whole piece a long form. He engineered this beautiful kind of running order that is challenging to us mm-hmm. in the best kind of way, in a way that we haven't been challenged by improv. And I know that sounds super shitty to say in a while. Like, it's, it, like, it keeps you on your toes, and there's patterns and connections, and th- Freeze is the first thing we play. You know, Freeze is usually the last thing you play, and it weaves through the whole show. We invented this form called Presto, which is based on, like, magic and prestidigitation. That's like... If Ryan says something, I have to do something. And if somebody else says something, like everyone has to spin in a circle. And then there's like a seven minute serious improv scene in the middle where Mick has directed us to not get laughs. Like it is, it is the coolest show I've yeah. been a part of in a very long time. And most short form shows are always packaged as a high energy explosion and everyone's mm-hmm. gonna have the best time ever and they come out and set these high levels of expectation with their energy that you never can match because mm-hmm. we're not as great as whatever the mm-hmm. biggest pop song of the time is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this comes out and it's very theatrical and very calm and very presentational and, and that mm-hmm. is a wonderful place to, to do short form from mm-hmm. and also, I, I love short form. Me too. I love short, I love short what do you form guys like about short form? Because short I'm form. prejudiced toward short yeah. form. I did it. I'm done with it. I want something more meaty. So there's like two sides of it of like a good improviser, like grounded, like emotional listen and give and take. And then there's be funny right now. Hit the joke, sell the genre, make the reference. Like mm-hmm. that part is like that's like sexy. I and love I, it. Yeah, and I love short form because there's no time to negotiate yep. information. Yep. Whatever is said, that's the most important thing. You put your creative energy into that mm-hmm. and you build off of that. There's no time to judge, there's no time to second guess, there's no time to be like, ah, maybe my idea. You just jump on it yep. and you can look into that first piece of information for all sorts of other things that you can pull out artistically, like style, genre, mm-hmm. character ideas. Um, and you make those decisions quickly. And yep. that, for me, is what is getting me off right now about improv, is just mm-hmm. processing information, making uh, a scene happen in a you know, grounded and um, you know, straightforward way right off the top. Yeah. So someone who plays the grounded and slow, like myself, who, who has a lot of judgment and a lot of fear about short form, mm-hmm. what advice would you give me as we're getting ready to do short form? I honestly think it's the same muscles. It's just a little bit different technique. It's that thing that Arch is talking about, like, there, it's not as patient. It is, you're right, go. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the other thing you can focus on is the amount of information that can be taken from non-verbal communication. Absolutely. So much of short form uh, in, that, in that ter- terms of like sharing information. If you put on a clear emotional point of view mm-hmm. and you create an action, then you've start. You've made two simple choices that are that are bold choices with very little brain power. Mm-hmm. Something that your scene partner can look at and say great, they're, they're crying and making soup and they can use it for what it is or it also is subjective interpretive that you can say you're crying because you're 
painting or crying because you're strangling that baby. Like mm -hmm. you can take that action and make it something else. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a lot of use of both verbal and nonverbal information in short form mm -hmm. that, you know, reach allows both types of communication to reach their potential. So I'm processing, go, oh, I just got to go faster. I mean, is that? No. Okay. I think you just have to, it's the first thing. Yeah. It's not faster, it's the first thing. Yeah. Okay. So we can play a slow scene and, yeah. and play it as a short form game mm -hmm. uh, and we'll see it, we'll see it work, you know, it's mm -hmm. but uh, you know, that again, like short forms given a bad rap because it's put on TV and it's on cruise ships and you know, uh, it's games that you teach kids. So there are a lot of tricks in just the way the game is set up that if you rely on those just to get your laughs, you're going to get bored and petered out. Yep. But if you apply, you know, scene work like the way they teach here at Second City and use that skill set, it's just, you know, it's the same thing. You just have a, a bit of a rule to follow for yeah. each game. You know? So we're going to do three games, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we're doing? Uh, new Choice. Okay. Uh, style Option. Style Option. And Freeze Tag. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm improvised. I'm terrified. Okay, Dad, we have to get everything on this list, all right? Okay, uh, yeah. We gotta get uh, ch uh, cherries for your mother. Uh, we've gotta get uh, tampons for your aunt. What is a party list? Uh, why, do, why are we picking up tampons for family members, Dad? Because it's, uh, it's, um, uh, it's uh, your granddaughter, my granddaughter's uh, period. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry, I wasn't privy. The, 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 the information didn't fall down to the yeah. chain of my command. I was quite, I didn't know it was my, my niece's period day. <laughs> I'm so happy it's happening during our Super Bowl party. I'm so happy it's happening during this shuttle launch. I'm so happy it's happening during my mother's wake. <laughs> The thing is, son, you can't plan these kind of things. They just happen. Understood. Understood. Your mother would like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we're making famous cherries jubilee. I take yes, it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, I'll, I'll get the I'll get the okay. ice cream. I got two cucumbers there. Put it right in the basket. Okay. All right. Got two cucumbers. And then, uh, oh, a large jar of pickles. Yeah. A uh, some cat litter. <laughs> A copy of uh, Weekly News and World Report. Yeah. <laughs> I never know what to say at these things. So I, oh, you know, I like, up on yes. it. <laughs> yeah, you're always thinking ahead. That's why I've always been prepared in life. Yeah, could you get the kind? I'm sorry. Yeah, we got ripped off. The I'm not allowed to touch. We, uh, the, the, the aliens came down and, <laughs> and I lost all my clothes and set our house on fire. 
<laughs> well, we need to make sure that we remember the card. <laughs> And honey, you want to do styles or you want to do a Whatever, open up. Open, up, open up. Great. Open up. Okay, great. Uh, in this next scene, uh, we'll be taking different suggestions from you from time to time. And, uh, and Jimmy and Rachel will incorporate them seamlessly into their improvisation. All we need to begin is a location where two people can gather, like a wedding or... Walgreens. What's that? Walgreens. Walgreens, thank you. <sighs> yeah, I wish it was break time. Yeah, me too, dear. Hey. <sighs> Hey, Terry. Yeah, Carol? Do you ever think that with your college degree you'd be working at a Walgreens? No, I never thought that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that by now I'd be assistant manager, not just a, uh, you know, pharmacy technician. Oh, God, you are manager material. Well, if thank I had you. ever met a man who has manager well, material, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> Freeze. Uh, in this box that Jimmy's about to reach into is something that you wouldn't expect to find at a Walgreens, like a badger or... Armadillo. A severed head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, look. Oh, Halloween decorations are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a Halloween oh, decoration. <laughs> I was going to put a price tag on that. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Terry, that is some Yakuza hit job if I ever saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Freeze. Rachel is about to uh, reveal a secret. Something like she used to work for the mob, or uh, she has an octopus in her purse, or... She's a samurai. She's a samurai, great. She's a samurai. Oh my god. <gasps> oh. <laughs> <laughs> this was my sensei, Terry. <laughs> I believe it. This is Sensei Shujahashi. He taught me everything I know about swordplay. <laughs> oh my god. The green dragon tongue must have finally got you. <laughs> Jimmy is going to have a, an emotional reaction to the discovery and the, re uh, <laughs> the reveal of the secret. What giant emotion is he going to continue? Jealousy. Let's go with jealousy. I can't believe you loved him more than I did. You pay more attention to that head than you do this whole body. Terry, <laughs> <laughs> the relationship between a samurai and a sensei is very complicated. <laughs> but you've always been my best friend. But I want more than being just your best friend. Are you talking about sex? Yes, I'm talking about <laughs> Freeze, they're going to continue in that style of what author? Chaucer. Oh, Chaucer. <laughs> <laughs> Forsooth, the route to Canterbury Way is rough, and the vagina you seek is shattered. <laughs> the penis is hard, but for action. If only the sooth would see what I have to offer. But I am but a fishmonger's wife. <laughs> but you are more to me than a fishmonger's wife. You are beautiful. You are a pearl. You are a diamond in the rough. Oh, Terry. <laughs> Freeze! We're going to continue in the style of what type of movie? Like a romantic comedy? Noir. 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 Let's go with some noir from the collective group. <laughs> he was breathing hard. 
I don't know if it was me, but this Walgreens was hot. Melt your ice cream cone hot. <laughs> I showed up in the morning just when the sun started to set. I thought it would cool her off, but it didn't. She drank a flask of whiskey. I checked the prescriptions going through and found the letter J. <laughs> so are we going to make this happen or what, Terry? She challenged me. I stuck my hand and got some birth control pills. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played this in years, but the, our next game is called Freeze Tag. And what happens is two people come on stage uh, and uh, they start a scene. In the beginning of that scene, someone in the back line, me, will yell, freeze. Tagging them out, assuming their exact position, and carrying this freeze in a totally different direction. I can't remember. I can't believe That's I remember good. this. <laughs> you ever need an understudy. <laughs> uh, so what we need uh, from you is a line of dialogue. Something you might have said today. Get out of my kitchen. Get out of my kitchen. Get out of my kitchen! I, I just, I just came, I just, no, I just. No, no, I see you trying to eat the mouse out of the trash. Yes, I am trying to do that. Sick fuck! No, 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 no! That mouse, that mouse is my mouse. I caught that mouse. Get out of my kitchen! <laughs> Never liked to hit a woman. <laughs> But I will knock you three ways from Sunday. Go ahead, Carl. I don't care. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I never thought I'd meet another person who had dicks for hands. That's amazing. Donna, you brought your famous casserole. Yes, I'm here. I'm gonna open up a new box oh, of Francia. We're gonna get so drunk tonight, honey. It's gonna be amazing. White wine, Jack, and maybe we'll kill. Oh, my Oh my God, I weigh two hundred and seventy pounds. Why do you think I'm trying to throw up? Oh God. <laughs> oh God. We are definitely getting kicked out of this condominium. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of my new jacket? <laughs> it's too big. Look at it, it's too big in the shoulders. But you picked it out in the kettle, you said it was fine. Well, I like the leather patches that make you look smart. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never had a raptor over after. Thanks for having me in there. Yeah, my, my pleasure. <laughs> I was out dancing, hoping I'd find someone who met my fancy. Where? Look yes, at me, I yeah, found yeah, myself yeah, a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you all rapping up there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, uh, I thought you were going to lay down a beat for me. since I saw you cleaning up that puke out of the ball pit of the Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Listen, Dwayne, you and I are co-workers. Yeah. And it can, st it can only be co-workers. Come on. 
I want some more! <laughs> no, really, I'm a talking tree. You guys made it fun and you guys made it easy. You Choice. You killed it. You killed well, thank you. I, I had a blast. <laughs> I really had a blast. Thanks. Um, Why do you hate short form so much? I don't, because I don't, I don't think, in my head, I don't think I do it well. What? Well, you just crushed. Just yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, funny is funny, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you think we did? I mean, as a group. <laughs> I think we did pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, for the circumstances, only three of us uh -huh. played three games. I think they're pretty, pretty good. I, you know what? I love free set with three people. That's the perfect number. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, we're going to uh, ask some questions to the audience if sure. they have uh, questions about you or what we just did or okay. uh, stuff like that. Great. So if we turn the lights up and uh, we'll uh, go to the audience. So just put your hands up and uh, it's a great opportunity to ask some questions here. Yeah. So uh, when you were talking about a mixed show where you did that part where you don't make people laugh, uh -huh. like that, is that awkward? Or? As a result of not looking for laughs, the laughs are twice as profound. Yeah. They're balanced it. by these sweet, we actually did the scene tonight. And like Arch did, like he was my dad. He didn't want to go into my engagement party because his ex-wife was there. And it was like, it was acting and not just like tiny hats. It's. It's so nice to not search for laughs and let them come to you. Mm. The, that scene is four times as funny as if Mick had been like, play your tits off, you know? Yeah, and that if you have true human emotion that your audience can connect to, anything that is actually funny uh, resonates. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and if you're presenting something interesting uh, or, you know, poetic, then when you actually have humor, it rises as well. Yeah. You know. um, another question. Yeah. You said that um, the show challenges you in ways that maybe you haven't been challenged in a while. Mm -hmm. Do you find that it is affecting the way you improvise in other settings? I think Arch touched on it before. It's like, you know, like when I improvise with the Playboys, there are no rules and it's all this. And like the challenge of having the rules and what's next in the running order and, and you know, the, the skill of the game that you have to play, it's, it's just makes me feel like, like oh, I'm, I'm doing it. I don't know how to explain it. That sounded weird. That didn't sound weird. <laughs> and for you? Yeah, I, for me, I think it's uh, important for Chicago to have a short form improv show mm -hmm. that is like this, that is a little bit more accessible to a normal theater audience and something different for people who've already written off short form mm -hmm. as being you know, gimmicky. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know when it, you know, Chicago kind of has a real riff through it of long form versus short form, right. which I think is dissolving. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I take the challenge of of not like try not to joke out or gimmick out mm -hmm. to be successful within the show through my skill set mm -hmm. uh, rather than allowing the game to derive mm -hmm. the humor out of it. Great, right back there. How did you kind of transition from not just being performers but also being teachers of improv? How's that going to change you as a performer? I mean, I'm a teacher. I have to teach. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 no matter what I did. I'd probably still be a teacher. Me you too. Know, whether if I, if I could, went through coaching or, or anything else mm -hmm. th through athletics. But yeah, I mean, I, I love to teach. Um, I tr 
tried to teach as fast as I could, I, you know, in the city, and, and I teach wherever I am on the road, um, mm -hmm. and it does keep me absolutely connected to the work. So um, what I'm teaching currently in class always affects how I'm playing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, for a while, I wasn't performing and I was only teaching, and I realized that I was learning more from watching my students make mistakes and have successes than I would have from my own performance. Like watching somebody do something lame and being like, oh yeah, that's why that doesn't work, and watching somebody crush it and being like, oh right, that's the thing. Um, I think you have to already, like, you have to like, be a solid performer, you have to have a couple of good shows under your belt, and once, once you're like, sort of at a certain level where you can verbalize your thoughts on improvisation, then you can teach. Yeah. When, when you have an ideal, uh, an idea and a style, when you can say, this is what a good improv scene is, then you can teach. And I also feel, as a teacher, is learning not to say things, too. Mm -hmm. Because when I started out, it was like, I thought it was about talking, and it's mm -hmm. really more about listening. Mm -hmm. Would you guys agree? Mm-hmm, 100%. I talk a lot in the classroom. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, I do. But I talk a lot, I, but I talk about their yeah, stuff. Yeah, what they're doing. I, right. Uh, I, you know, and I don't, I, I don't teach traditionally how they teach in this building, uh, and I know Rachel doesn't either. Mm -hmm. We both have our own unique style, and actually, mm -hmm. we're, we, I think we have a lot in common mm -hmm. what we present to our students, which mm -hmm. is like, uh, I'm going to talk about this scene you just said, because mm -hmm. you need to hear my point of view on yep. why it was good and why it was bad. Mm -hmm. So I try to run, a, you know, especially here in the conservatory, I try to run a classroom that has a pace to it, so I have the time mm -hmm. to, to address everything, because too often, uh, you know, people sit through a class here for eight weeks and barely get a personal note, mm -hmm. and I just think that's theft. Me too. I think that's taking money from students. And you said another thing that really bugs you is people, students, and who spread themselves too thin. Yeah. Can you exp explain that? Well, I think um, I think it's just a generational thing. I think people uh, in, in their twenties and, and teens now they're they're very good at self-promotion because of social media. Mm -hmm. And I think they get excited about promoting their shows, so they want to be in a couple different shows, and Chicago provides opportunity to, to play a lot. Mm -hmm. But I've, you know, I've, I've seen students burn out. I've seen students never reach their potential because they're putting more effort into their show poster, and it's far more interesting than anything they're doing on stage. And so if your show poster is more interesting than what you do on stage, you shouldn't be enforced. So what's the remedy to that? Uh, have a little bit of patience, learn your craft. Mm -hmm. You know, Do one take show a year, or two take shows. a year, take a year and study. I mean, this is mm -hmm. there's so much to learn, and um, and if you're doing it without guidance and if you're doing it blindly, it, you're you're going to develop bad habits. Yep. You know. And you said, Rachel, one thing that bothers you is students that are just they're in your classroom but they're done learning. Yeah, yeah. it's like Arch said, kids who come here now have come with tons of experience. And you can see them sort of looking at you like, what can you teach me? I know all of this. And even like Susan Messing says it, like the student who thinks they know everything is the most dangerous student. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think you can know an art form that is constantly transforming itself, mm -hmm. right? You have to keep growing with it. And students who are like, you can't teach me or I know this, it, it kills me. Like I'm still learning. What does it mean you can't fucking learn? Yeah, and if students aren't willing to go see shows, it's like trying to teach jazz to a bunch of musicians who never listen to jazz. Yep. Like you can explain the theory, you can talk about it, yep. unless you actually hear the way it's being played yep. and the way other musicians are adapting this technique and making it their own, then it's just you're you're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. you know? And I found like students that 
finish, let's say, at I.O. or finish the conservatory here, and you have them in class, it's kind of like, well, I've learned everything. Yeah. And so it's like they're sitting here waiting for that piece of paper that I like. I graduated from the conservatory, like waiting for that paper instead of earning that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. How as a teacher do you still stay fresh after all these years? I don't know by loving exactly what's going on yeah. instead of like this is what the class is. I I go with what's happening in front of me. Yeah, and I think um, that way every class is a new class. Yeah, I I I'm lucky. I have a balance. I get to do comedy professionally, uh, you know, a, a lot mm-hmm. to make a living off of, and I also get to teach to supplement my income. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I am lucky because I'm on the boards every night or, you know, several times a week, and I get to bring a more modern approach into the classroom. I think that that challenge on myself is what keeps me fresh. I thought something interesting too that you said some of your influence growing up was PBS, The Muppets, Sesame Street. Uh-huh. For somebody who can go raunchy w- w- sometimes, what what where's the Muppet influence? Um, I, I think it comes with big character choices. I think it comes with like the musical number coming in out of nowhere, like the explosion. Like Miss Piggy was always like trying to get it on with Kermit. You know what I mean? Oh really? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Henson's a pretty subversive fellow. Absolutely. uh, All of his stuff has Mm -hmm. got adult theme in Mm -hmm. it. Uh I mean, The Muppet Show is something I watched as a kid, but my parents sat behind me watching it and laughing, too. And now having a two-year-old, like, we watch a fuck ton of Muppets. (laughs) And I've been lucky to write a lot of corporate, we have a corporate theater here, or a lot of corporate comedy, and I realized that, like, the last three sketches I submitted ended with somebody fainting out of frustration. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching a little too much Sesame Street. (laughs) Ernie is always like, ah, yeah, yeah. Totally. (laughs) And one of your influences was the Saturday Night cast of, like, Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, and stuff like that? Yeah, that was right around when I was in like, uh, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade when, you know, we're just a, a tons of, like, you know, hanging out with friends and staying up late to watch SNL and, and that cast, like Phil Hartman and Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and, and, mm-hmm. and later like Farley and then like, I just thought they were the greatest. Jan Hooks as well. I just thought they were amazing mm-hmm. and we'd tape the shows and we'd watch them over and over and mm-hmm. we'd do Wayne's World bits and, you know, Sprocket <laughs> stuff and like knew all of the Oh, remember Sprocket? You know, yeah. yeah. Sprocket was the chopping broccoli like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Over and over and over again. Like, those were, our, I mean, that was my group of friends, uh, like core, com- like what we turned to for comedy. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, people always say, oh, improv, I find my voice in improv and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. to me, it's like such a, it's such a big concept. It's almost yeah. airy, you know, yeah. in terms of how did going from chopping broccoli, this guy in college, to finding his voice in improv? Yeah, I think um, I found my voice after I grew up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I feel like now I consider myself an artist more than an improviser because I have a broader skill set than just improv, but I got that skill set through improvisation. Mm-hmm. But also like, it took me a long time to stop being Peter Pan and actually decide that I'm gonna be an adult. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a very common track for men and women in this, in this community mm-hmm. to finally like put your foot down and say, I'm gonna have money in my bank account and I'm gonna pay my bills on time and I am going to like be an adult uh-huh. so I can get rid of all that like stress that the kid in me. I think like, and then, you know, a divorce will shake some shit out of you too. You um, and, and you know, and that, and that <laughs> like that will help 
I think that'll fucking help me. I didn't know you were divorced. Yeah, we don't talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so I was an imitator. Like I did, I did Mae West. I did Barbara Wawa. I did Gilda Radner. And when I got to Chicago, I got to watch Amy, Rachel, and Tina. And Amy Poehler, Rachel, Rachel Dratch, Dratch, and, and Tina, Tina Fey. Like they were performing. Like I'm performing right now, and you're watching us. Like that's how it was. Like okay. they were just up here. And I would imitate them, and I would bring it back to class, and I couldn't do what they were doing because I'm not them. And through imitating them, and I, that is how I found what I could do. The things that they did inspired me, and then when I couldn't do that, I'd find a new angle and find a thing that was my voice. Hmm. I mean, they. I can't even imagine you not having your voice, though. I mean, you're like. Oh, I was opinionated, yeah. but as far as like <laughs> lasering into a scene. I gotcha. Because you, I mean, because you're, you're such a style. I mean, I don't know. I, just, I, I see my <laughs> students imitating you, so. Oh my god. Yeah. You also talked about a show that you did with Susan Messing, a Messing and a friend, yeah. that. That you said the person you knew was going to be bad. Yes. Who was that person? Oh, it's so rude. It's so rude. It's John Mulhern. Okay, John Mulhern. I'm no, I'm sure. So no. Sharna was like bitching at Susan, like we're going to cut Mulhern. Mulhern is death in Armando. We hate Armando. Mulhern can't do anything. All he does is shit on scenes. Susan goes, I'm going to play with him and messing with a friend. Me and Rachel are going to make him look fantastic. And he comes in even before the show, he's kind of like this. And we're like, yeah, we're going to have fun. And he's like, uh-huh. So we put him on stage, and me and Susan, me and Susan are like, ah, like using all our superpowers. And he was like this fucking black hole sucking all of it in, and it was like the worst fucking show, and nothing was like Sharna's face at the end of it, like... <laughs> I told you. Now, I fucking love John Mulhern. I I've seen too. him do great shows, and then Sharna gets like in her head like who's good and who's bad. But I just felt so bad that night that I was like, oh, we couldn't, we couldn't help him. We couldn't save him. Okay, so what did you learn from that experience? That, <laughs> that, you're all, that a chain is as strong as its weakest link. And like the Marines, like the improv is like the Marines. You don't leave the man behind. You have to go with him. And if he is going in the fucking shitter, that is where you are going to. Mm -hmm. And Sharn is always right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a great way to end tonight. I want to say... You heard it from Ryan Archibald. Sharna is always right. Yep. Uh, I want to thank you guys both for being my guests. This was such a pleasure. Thanks uh, for doing this podcast, too. Yeah, it's awesome. It's pretty cool. <laughs> thank you. No, I think it's cool that you're doing this. I, I yeah. really appreciate it, because I need all the validation I can get. <laughs> great, great. Great. Um, uh, if they want to come and see the show, it's Monday nights at 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. It's $15, but I'm sure for students, it's got to be... It might even be free. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if Depends. you come and find us, we can get you two-for-ones. There's even a show tonight at 11 o'clock, if you want to come. Are you guys doing that show? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just had one at 8 we came here and now we're going back to do another well thank another. you again I really appreciate that <laughs> yeah, I know because you what would you have been doing in this hour not getting high would you yes. no, no. Okay. <laughs> I want to thank you because um, we did a show on Hinge a long time ago oh, and I remember showing up one day and I said it was a I was intimidated it was younger people I, I'm a little older than these guys but not much and I said I'm really intimidated I feel uh, I think I might have said I was insecure I didn't want to do it and you said to me you gave me the best piece of advice and I'll never forget it you said make sure you get out there early make sure you're the first person out doing your scene and and I really appreciate that yeah. 
Yes. Aww, so I really, I really wanted to thank you. Uh, it's sweet, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good little improv moments right there. <laughs> That's what this podcast is about, improv moments. We were going to call it improv moments, but actually someone has that. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, we've got a wonderful... Wow, did you see the change that I made at the end of that episode? It was pretty incredible, wasn't it? Uh, I want to thank our guests today, two of my favorite improvisers from the Second City Improv All-Stars, Rachel Mason and Ryan Archibald. Uh, also, if you want to check out uh, the Improv All-Stars, I believe Rachel's still in the cast. I'm not so sure about Ryan. Uh, the show's still running Monday nights at uh, the Second City Up Theater here in Chicago, and you can go to secondcity.com for more information. I also want to thank the Second City Training Center for hosting this program, uh, this episode. We really appreciate that. And as always, my producer, Ben Caprero, the guy who makes it sound so slick and so professional, because I don't know anything about the technical aspect of this show. And as you know, we are on feralaudio.com and we're in great company. Uh, people like Todd Berry and Chelsea Peretti and Matt Dwyer and Brainwarmth, the Baby Eater, all have wonderful podcasts on feralaudio.com. And if you get a chance and you're feeling generous, hit that donate button and donate to Improv Nerd. We'd really appreciate it. And if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes and workshops, The Artist Low Comedy, and my Improv Nerd blog, which will give you tips to become even a better improviser, go to jimmycorain.com. Also, don't forget to like us on Improv Nerd, our Facebook page, because it really helps with my low self-esteem. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate all the feedback that you give me during the week. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL, the 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly-collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, <laughs> oh my he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. <laughs> Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> 
Ciao Bella, it's me, Scarface. <laughs> oh my God.